And Father, we take this moment right now to declare that, that in your name there is victory. In your name and your name alone. In your name there is hope. In your name there is grace. In your name there is power. In your name there is freedom. In your name there is glory. In your name there is authority. In your name there is majesty. In your name there is holiness and perfection. Father, we pray in Christ's name. We would not just rush into the next part of this service, but Lord, we would stop and pause to reflect on that glorious truth that we just proclaimed. May it not just be words of our mouths, Lord, but may it be a worship from our heart that we truly believe that in your name alone there's victory. And we truly believe that that grave was, was robbed by Jesus Christ three days later after his death by crucifixion. Father, I pray our hearts would be stirred to hear from your word now. Jesus Christ, would you speak to us and we, we humble ourselves under your authority over our lives. That we would ditch the pride, we would ditch the rejection of your word or I don't have to get around to that. Lord, we would come under you eagerly, expectantly, willingly, knowing that there is blessing on the other side of obedience always. And so God, as you reveal, I pray that God, you would open every eye to see, ear to hear, and heart to respond what you would say to your church today. Lord, guard my mouth from error. Keep watch over this teaching. Right now, we pray and show your power in a saving and sanctifying work in your house. Church, if you agree, in the name of Jesus Christ, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord, church. It is great to be back with you here this week, and it was such a blessing to have Pastor Daniel come from our Quebec church plant at Glees Doxa last week, but I gotta tell you, I love being here in the house of the Lord with you, being able to see all your faces, and expectant for great things this week. Well, the title of this morning's message is The Character of True Faith, Satisfaction. The Character of True Faith, satisfaction. We're going to be looking at our next beatitude. We've been going through this series on the beatitude, and now we're looking at the fourth one. All right, and if you do not have a Bible with you, just put up your hands right now. The ushers are going to come forward right now, and then they're going to place a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along with us, okay? So just put up your hand. If you don't have a Bible, they'll put one in your lap so that you can follow along. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then take that as a free gift. We want to bless you so you can continue to study God's word on your own, all right? Satisfaction. So let's just get a recap in case we have forgotten or need some clarity on, let's get a recap on what exactly a beatitude is. All right, the Latin term for beatitude, and we're gonna write this down because this is gonna set the tone. We've got four more messages in this series and we're gonna need to remember this. The beatitudes are attitudes that believers are to have that God approves of and promises his blessing towards. That's a key point, okay? Remember that because statistically you're only gonna remember 10% of what I say today. Okay, all right, so make a note of that. Attitudes that believers are to have that God approves of and promises his blessing towards. These are values of the kingdom of heaven that were embodied in the character of Jesus Christ himself and that we as Christians are called to be imitators of. Now, we talked about last week, they're not competencies of the hand. They're not how skilled you are at something. They are internal attitudes of the heart. The heart is everything to God. And Jesus Christ continually is exhorting his disciples and us today as his children towards the heart. Man looks at the outside. God always looks at the heart. Now, now, important reminder here. Important, why is this so important to know? Because these are, the Beatitudes aren't the way people live if they're going to be saved. Living out the Beatitudes cannot save you. You can't go through this list of eight Beatitudes and say, okay, so if I check the box on all eight, then I'm going to be saved. It doesn't work like that. And you'll see why very clearly. You don't live this way to be saved, but each of the Beatitudes, these eight characteristics of true saving faith in Jesus Christ, are the character of the one who is saved, who has already repented of their sin and confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and now has his power at work in us through the Holy Spirit. We can't live these things on our own. It's impossible. Let's just put that out on the table first off. 
So many people discouraged and disheartened by trying on their own merit, on their own effort to live the way God commands his children to live, and it's impossible to do without him. And we've looked at the first three of eight Beatitudes, and let's not forget each one of these Beatitudes builds on the one in front of it. So for example, last two weeks ago, we looked at the poor in spirit as Jesus starts out in Matthew chapter five, verse three, the poor in spirit. What is that? Humility. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That humility has to be where everything starts because humility leads to beatitude number two, brokenness, mourning over sin. What's that? Repentance. You don't get to repentance if you don't humble yourself. Pride keeps us from repentance, turning away from our sin, turning towards God. And last week, we looked at beatitude number three, which is meekness. Repentance leads to meekness. What is meekness? Gentleness, power under control. Power under control, submitted to the Lord. And today, we now look at the fourth beatitude that builds on each of those three. We don't get to this one without those three, and it is this, satisfaction. Satisfaction in Christ alone. So let's make sure we're all on the same page here. We never want to assume anything, so let's get a definition of what satisfaction actually is. Brought to you by dictionary.com. Here it is. Satisfaction. To have one's desires, needs, or expectations fulfilled. To have one's desires, needs, or expectations fulfilled. Okay, hands up as you see that definition. Let's just do a straw poll. Kind of going out on a limb here, loved ones. Hands up. How many of us here today are living satisfied with all our needs, desires, and expectations fulfilled? Go. Okay, went out on a limb. Praise the Lord, we're on the same page. All right, nobody. Huh. Is that even possible? I mean, that's the definition of satisfaction. So by that very definition and by the evidence in this room alone, and I have a feeling that it would not change if we went out and did a straw poll in this neighborhood of that same question. None of us are living in satisfaction based on the definition. What does that tell you? It's faulty. In this world, that is faulty and ultimately unattainable. Hmm. So it begs the question this. What satisfies you? Just think on that question, loved ones. What satisfies you? Maybe write it down. When you think, I'll be satisfied if I get, what is that? What is that for you? I mean, what, another way to put that is, what do you pursue for satisfaction? Just think. And you say, well, why is that question so important? Here's why the question is important, loved ones. Because the truth is this. Every sin we commit is ultimately committed from a lack of satisfaction in God. Bold statement. True statement. Every sin you and I commit is committed ultimately from a lack of satisfaction in God. Think think satisfaction in God is a big deal to him? Absolutely. 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 A lack of satisfaction. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's get some clarity. I lust after things. I'm not just talking about sexual lust. I'm talking about the lust of a job, the lust of provision, the lust of entertainment, the lust of children, the lust of a spouse, you name it. I only lust after other things because I'm not satisfied with what I have. Or this, I get angry and impatient because I'm not satisfied with my comfort in the moment. See, every sin we commit is ultimately a lack of satisfaction. And where does comfort come from? Where do the needs fulfilled come from? We're going to look at that today in Christ. And the problem is this. We face a problem today, loved ones, and it is this. We live in a world where people of all ages, including Christians, even in this room right now, no hands went up, including my own, including Christians, are seeking to get satisfaction from things that can never ultimately give it. You and I are seeking satisfaction from things that can never ultimately give it. We live in a world that says your satisfaction can be guaranteed. You'll see a picture here. How often do you see this? 100% satisfaction guaranteed. And if the retailer's feeling really generous, they'll say, or your money back. 
right? We live in a world that's like, guarantee your satisfaction. That's, that message is all over the place. It says you can have it guaranteed through shopping in your possessions. You can have it guaranteed through sex. You can have it guaranteed through ease or comfort. You can have it guaranteed through your job. If you work hard enough and you get a right enough paycheck in your finances, then you're going to be satisfied in your job. You, you can get it through food. You can get it, here's a big one, through control. If you just control everything in your life and have a plan for absolutely everything and then be able to accomplish everything on your own, then you're going to be satisfied. That's not true. That's a lie. You can be satisfied through entertainment. You know, I was driving down the street the other day. I saw it again. What is it with famous players, okay, nothing against famous players, however, what is it with the message of escape with us? Why do you need to escape if you're satisfied? Huh. Why do you need to escape? Entertainment, we, get, we look at social status, we try to get it through. Marriage, if I just get a spouse, if I just have kids, then I'll be satisfied. Sorry, loved ones. I love my wife, I love my kids, but hey, if I'm banking my satisfaction on them, if they're banking it on me, we're in for some real disappointment. And if you're not, here, here's the destructive thing about this, because if you're not satisfied with what you get temporarily there, if you're not satisfied with that spouse, guess what you can do? Go get a different one. Go get a different one. If you're not satisfied with that, just go buy something else. Why do you think Black Friday is so popular? Think about this. Here's what it causes. Debt, destruction, isolation, brokenness, emptiness, and no lasting fulfillment. That's what pursuing satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ will lead, because that's the only place it can and so here in this text, Jesus turns the world's idea or pursuit of satisfaction on its head and gives us the place where our greatest desire is fulfilled, the desire for satisfaction. He shows us where it is fulfilled. He gives us two life-changing truths we must embrace if we are to find it and live increasingly with this satisfaction that comes from him alone. And to honor the authority of God's word as we dive in, let's stand as we read it together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Matthew 5, verses 1 to 6. Jesus says this. Seeing the crowd, disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And here it is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And all God's people said, amen, you may be seated. Well, what we see clearly here in verse six, we're gonna focus on that today, is this, to be satisfied in Jesus Christ, you must have an increasing desire for righteousness through Christ. And I don't just tag on through Christ on there to complete a nice rhyming sentence, it's because Without righteousness through Jesus Christ, we can never attain this. It's impossible to have any righteousness on our own. So he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Look at the first part of that text. Hunger and thirst. Now, recall, the word blessed there is, the Greek word is makarios. Now, makarios is, there, you have to understand, there isn't an English word in our English language that can describe the full meaning of this word. It's talking about supernatural blessing. Try to package that in one word. Okay? It's makarios, but what it means is this. It describes one who is happy or spiritually prosperous or envied. Envied. It describes the state of the believer who is in an enviable position from receiving God's provisions or favor in their relationship with him. Others should want to be in that place. Here's what it's not describing, though. Makarios is not just describing a temporary feeling of happiness, one that you have for a brief moment and then it fades and you've got to go on to the next thing. That's what happens in this world. Makarios, or blessed, means this. It is a continuous state of well-being or being in a right place in one's relationship with God. A continuous state. You are continually blessed 
if you are satisfied, as we will see in Christ. And Jesus says here that a person receives or experiences this ongoing blessing when they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Look at the word picture there. Awesome. I love how Jesus just lays this out for us. The Greek word there for hunger and thirst, okay? That concept means this. Write this down. To be needy, to desire earnestly. To be needy, to desire earnestly, or here's another one, to crave passionately. To crave passionately. Great picture. What does Jesus say we're to desire earnestly? Righteousness. Hey, you know what I noticed this week in prep? Is this. Do you guys notice that you only, you and I only hunger after something when we don't yet have it? You notice that? You and I only hunger after something when we don't yet have it. So he's saying, if you're supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness, can you have righteousness on your own? You don't have it. He does. We cannot manufacture any righteousness before God on our own. Romans 3.10 says, there are none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah 64.6 says, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God to try to earn merit with him. Well, if I'm just a good enough person, then I'll, then I'll have merit and favor with God and I'll be saved. No, it doesn't work like that. Now, what does this term righteousness mean, though? Here's what it means. Greek word for righteousness is this. Doing what is deemed right by the Lord. Not by what society says. Not by what we think is the right thing to do. Doing what is deemed right by the Lord what is approved in his eyes and is obedient to his word. In essence, if I could sum it up this way, I'd say this, righteousness is living with godly character from his word. Just think about that for a moment. See, Jesus is speaking of those who seek righteousness, not with an occasional thought of doing it. Listen, I'll pursue righteousness when I'm done pursuing my world and I have my fill over here. When I get, you see, I hear this all the time. Loved ones, single, single students. We have a lot of students in here, okay? And I've heard too many times in the past, even before coming here, that it's like, well, I can't wait to serve God when I get a spouse. It'll be so much easier. Really? Really? No. Well, I can't wait to serve God. It'll be so much more fruitful when I have kids. Really? No. When I just have my schedule balanced in work, then I can serve God. Really? You're going to put off a pursuit of righteousness until you've somehow been satisfied with where it won't happen. It's a lie, it's a deception. Not with an occasional thought of doing it. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's with an increasing, intense, or passionate desire for it at all times. Like it's first importance. It's first importance in my life. Now notice this. You ever wonder, loved ones, why out of all of the images or descriptions that Jesus could have used to describe the desire for righteousness he wants us to have, he chooses the two strongest physical cravings of every human being, hunger and thirst. Why does he do that out of all the descriptions he could have used? He uses the two strongest physical cravings, hunger and thirst, that we as humans have and says that it is with that intensity or desire we are to pursue righteousness. Why? Write this down. This is a, this is a dagger into my heart this week. I was just under so much conviction from it. And it is this. He uses this because your desire will always determine your direction. What you desire, church, will determine the direction you go. The direction for what you pursue. Your desire will determine your direction every time. And the greater your desire for something, notice this, the more intensely you pursue it. An hour after breakfast, I'm not going to pursue lunch too much. Four hours after breakfast, watch out, watch out, okay? The greater the intensity of desire, the greater the intensity with which you pursue it. 
And desire will always determine your direction. Example, if I have a desire for food, guess where I'm going? To the fridge or to a restaurant. It determined the direction. If I have a desire for relationship, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to email a friend. I'm going to pursue a spouse. It determines your direction. If I have a desire for children, I'm going to desire and pursue that direction. If I have a desire for entertainment, I'm going to watch a movie or a sporting event or troll Facebook. If I desire righteousness, I will move toward the Lord in all things, knowing that he is the only one who can give it. Why? Because you have to understand this. His righteousness to us is a gift of grace to us. So if we desire righteousness, we are moving towards the source of that. And pursuing him, drawing near to him, knowing that he will draw near to us. And some may say this, well, what does righteousness practically look like for me? Let's press this in, okay? Love applicational preaching, let's press it in. What does it practically look like? Charles Price said this, he says, righteousness is a behavior, loved ones. It is doing what is right. The only valid evidence of the fullness of Jesus Christ in a person's life is their behavior. It is a desire for likeness to Christ in moral character and conduct that gives the evidence of his presence. Yes. It is a desire for likeness to Christ in moral character and conduct that gives evidence of Christ's presence. So let's break down that even further. Let's press this in just so we make sure we're absolutely clear. What is a mark of righteousness? What are some of the marks of righteousness that we have? Write these down. We're going to use this as a, as a list here for it. Integrity. Living with integrity. I heard a few times the definition of integrity is this. How you live when no one's watching. When your boss isn't watching how long your coffee break is. Do you still keep to the allotted time? When no one else is home and you're surfing the internet, what are you looking at? When your wife's not around and you're with the guys, how do you speak about her? And vice versa. Integrity. Living above reproach without accusation. People can accuse you, but there's nothing to back it up. How about this? Integrity, moral excellence, moral excellence in your speech, in your conduct. Does your speech change depending on who you're around? Does your conduct change? The jokes you laugh at, the things that you say. Moral excellence, loved ones. Here's another one, purity. Purity. Are you fighting for purity in your life? and the life of those around you. This is a mark of righteousness. Here it is, number four. Honesty. Do you tell the truth? Or just kind of shave a little bit off the truth to make things sound better than they actually are? A little, quote-unquote, white lie. Well, there's no such thing. How about this? Number five, mark of righteousness, which is the only right. It's our authority. The authority. How about this? Humility. Mark of righteousness. Humility. Less is more. You must increase. I must decrease. You before me. God before me. How about this? Number seven. Just hold off, Alexis. Number seven. Repentance. Repentance. Turning away from our sin turning toward God, mourning over our sin, broken over it. Here's another one, gentleness. See, there's the meekness piece, gentleness, mark of righteousness. If we went around and said, hey, interviewed some kids and said, hey, what what are mom and dad like at home? What would they say to that? And the issue here is not to sit under condemnation. This is the standard of God. And this is why you and I can see very clearly we cannot do this on our own. I was very humbled by that this week. How about this one? Self-control. Self-control. 
Do we exert self-control when that temptation hits? Self-control in our mouth when we want to lash out, but yet we're called to gentleness and kindness, to love our enemies. If I could sum all that up, it'd be in one word, holiness. Holiness. So just look at that list for a second. Do you and I truly believe, as we, as we sit here and look at this, do we truly believe that we can somehow do this on our own, manufacture these things? To be a good person, enough of a good person to do this. Is that, hey, just straw poll, loved ones. Is, maybe it's just me. Does anyone feel like they need a savior right about now? Yeah, love seeing the hands, it's true. I feel like I need a savior. And some of you may look at that list and say, that's impossible. That's absolutely impossible. And here's, here's what I would say to that. You know what? Left to yourself, left to myself, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That is the standard of holiness that God calls his people to. And it's impossible. But, but be encouraged with this. Write this down because this is going to set the tone for the rest of this Beatitude series. It is this. Know this. Here, are you ready for some gospel truth? Ready for some good news? God will never command from you what he is first not willing to do in you. God will never command from you what he's not first willing to do in you. If he calls you to righteousness, his power inside of you is willing to do the work for that. If you seek him and desire it. This is why if you're not a Christian, if you've never repented of your sin and confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not have Christ's power in you. We cannot do that. God will never command from you what he's not first willing to do in you. And God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, the one who lived a perfectly righteous life, even though, hey, loved ones, let me just say, well, he was fully God and fully man. Well, he's fully God. Listen, he was tempted in every single way you and I are and will be, and yet didn't sin. He overcame it. He lived a perfect and spotless life, came to die on a cross for our sin, pay the penalty of God that we deserve so that as we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior, his Holy Spirit comes inside of us and gives us the power to live a victorious life and to pursue righteousness increasingly. Amen? That's good news today for a broken down person like me. That's good news And it's not based on how you earn that. God's not sitting there, well, if you clean yourself up, then I'll come and save you. He's like, I created you fearfully and wonderfully. I love you. I know your past. I know what you're doing right now. I know what you've done. And here's my word for you. Come and taste and see the Lord is good. And know my love for you. Stop running. Stop running. You're chasing the wind. I love you. I gave myself for you. Come home. Come home. See, the desire for righteousness, church, is to be of first importance for every true Christian. First fruits, first importance. Because why? Here's why. Simple truth. What you put first will always order the rest. If we're not moving toward God, if the desire for God is not determining our direction, if we're not moving towards God, where are we moving to? What you put first is going to order everything else. You don't build a building without putting in the foundation first, the cornerstone. So question, how about you? How about me? Does this describe your pursuit of righteousness in mind? Is this how we hunger and thirst, eagerly desiring righteousness? Are we hungry for it? Are we passionate about it? And if you're like me, maybe you've said something like this, but there are so many other things I gotta do. There's so many other things I need. I just don't have time to make for that, the pressing of the schedule and the stuff. And And then I would remind you of this, loved one, if that's you today, hear the words of Jesus Christ this morning from Matthew 6, 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's a holy life. And all these things will be added to you. 
that wisdom you think you need for that situation? God's got that, but does he have you? That provision you think you need? God has promised, Philippians 4.19, to provide what we need. Not exactly everything we want, but what we need. Do you believe him for that? And if you do, is it shown in your pursuit of him as your first importance or that? And you may say this, how do I grow? Well, how do I grow in this desire? I want to grow in this desire of having God as my first importance. How do I grow in this Four ways. Four ways we grow in our desire for righteousness. Ready? Write these down or take a picture on your phone, whatever it is. Here it is. We grow in righteousness, first off, through God's Son. We must recognize, we must recognize it's His power and not mine doing it. We grow in righteousness through God's Son. It's His power doing it, not mine. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says this. For our sake, that's yours and mine, loved ones, He, God, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, not in ourselves, not in any other God, not in any other religion, in him we might become the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. Awesome. Awesome. In him, his power, not us, and our ability to do it nowhere else. Through God's son, here it is. Second way we grow in our desire for righteousness, through God's word. Through God's word. Recognizing his authority, not mine. God has authority, I don't. That's that's like a punch to the flesh, isn't it? God has authority, I don't. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and look at this, and for training in righteousness. God's authority trains me in righteousness. Not the authority I want to have. God and God alone. Four ways we grow in desiring righteousness. Number one, through God's son. Recognize it's his power and not mine doing it. Number two, through God's word. Recognize his authority and not mine. Number three, through prayer. Recognizing his will and not mine. His will and not mine. Look at Matthew 6, 9 to 10. This is how Jesus taught us how to pray. Right out of our Savior's mouth says this. Pray then like this. I love he says, not when you feel like it. Just pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Awesome. The awe of God right there. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will, not our own. And you know, as I sat there and meditated on that thought this week, it occurred to me again that Most of us will pray that prayer and say, Lord, your kingdom come. But the prayer we need to actually be praying is, Lord, my kingdom go. Lord, my kingdom go. Help me to desire you more. Whose kingdom are we seeking to build? By the power of his spirit. My kingdom go. Help me to desire you more. Lastly, four ways we grow in our desire for righteousness through God's Son, through God's Word, through prayer, and lastly is this, through obedience, recognizing it's His way and not mine. It's His way and not mine. Look at 2 Timothy 2.2. So flee youthful passions, here it is, and pursue righteousness. What's the path to righteousness? His way, fleeing youthful passions, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, youthful passions... Paul isn't talking to Timothy there just about sexual immorality. He's talking about um, pride, our desire to do things our way and in our time. So whose timing are you on right now for that decision you're, you're after? Whose desire is it? God's or yours? See, here's the cool thing about what happens when we draw close to the Lord. And desire righteousness, his desires for us become our own. He aligns our our hearts to his. And it is the good, perfect, and best way. So question is this, as we look at that. What desires are determining your direction right now? Just look at that list right there. Do you want the power? You're trying to do it on your own, loved one? 
Do you want the authority over your life? Whose will are you following and trying to implement? Whose way are you trying to follow? Just what desires are determining your direction? Hey, remember, remember? Here's kingdom mathematics. Less is more. Less of us, more of him. He must increase, I must decrease. The way up, loved ones, is always down in God's kingdom. The way up is always down. Write it down. What is it for you? Just write that thing down that, that the Holy Spirit's bring to mind. Confess it, repent of it, and start moving towards him. There is forgiveness. And loved ones, this is totally radical and totally otherworldly, and this is why we totally need a savior for it. We can't get here on our own. The kingdom of God literally turns the kingdom of man on its head. To be satisfied in Jesus Christ, you must have an increasing desire for righteousness through Christ. There it is. How do we grow in it? Right there. And with that, you must have an increasing faith in the promise of Christ. Last point for today. Increasing faith in the promise of Christ. Look at the back half of verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's the promise. Ready? For they shall be satisfied. For they shall be satisfied. Now, Jesus states the promise for the one who desires or hungers for righteousness. And notice the phrase there in that, circle that. Notice the phrase there in the back half. It says, shall be. Circle shall be. There's no qualifying statement there. You notice that? There's the promise. Jesus Christ has never broken a promise in history, and he never will for all eternity. He says, they shall be, as in, expect this to happen, loved ones. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you can expect what I'm about to promise. No qualifier. This promise is a done deal. It's going to happen every time. And what's the promise? What does he say? They shall be, everyone say that together, satisfied. Satisfied. He says, that if his pe people increasingly desire or pursue righteousness as first importance, they will find true, lasting, and ultimately eternal satisfaction. But notice the link. Notice the link between the posture and the promise. Posture in the first half of the verse of pursuing righteousness. What we see here is that having satisfaction in Christ is only found in pursuing righteousness through Christ. Can't have it any other way. Having satisfaction in Christ is only found and can only be found in pursuing righteousness through Christ. Make no mistake, loved ones, this is the greatest longing of every human heart in this room and outside of these four walls. So what does that term satisfaction mean? We got dictionary.com's definition. Let's get God's definition, okay? That's a good plan. Let's do it. The Greek word for satisfaction here is this. I love this picture. To be filled, to be stuffed, to have every desire fulfilled. Sweet. To be filled, to be stuffed. Ever been stuffed? You know what that feels like? There's, there's a picture of satisfaction in Christ, only without the tummy ache. To be filled or to be stuffed, having every desire felt. That's mind-blowing in Jesus Christ alone. And just look around today. Look around today, loved ones. Every single person is trying to find true, lasting, fulfilling, and ultimately life-giving satisfaction. Everyone around us, everyone in this room, everyone outside of this room, but here's the problem. We're trying to find it through our jobs. If I just make enough deals... If I just have the status of a high job, then people won't look down on me. That's the way this world thinks. The higher you go, the more esteem that you should have. God's kingdom is less is more. The way up is down. We try to find it through our health. If I just maintain, I was talking about this with my wife yesterday. I like, I'm approaching 40 years old, okay? Pastoral vulnerability right here. I'm approaching 40 years old. And on the workout yesterday, I realized I wasn't 25 anymore. 
So trying to keep satisfaction in my health isn't going to last. Okay? If I just don't get sick, then I'll have satisfaction. If I just don't have that operation, then, then I'll have satisfaction. It's not going to last. We try to find it through getting a spouse or having a spouse and heaping expectations on them to satisfy, which they were never meant to fulfill. They can't satisfy you the way your heart is desiring. And you can't satisfy them. And with our children, we look to our children to try to say, don't heap expectations on children like that. They can't fulfill them. How about this? We try to find satisfaction in food. Binge eating. Going beyond what is needed. How about this? Entertainment. If I just numb myself to the issues and I go and entertain myself for a while, those issues aren't going to go away. Do you ever notice that? The issues don't go away. They're still there when you come out of it. So why do you think you got to keep going back? Or this. If I just have enough money, then I'm going to be satisfied. How much is enough, loved one? That's the question. Or this. Our grades. Students, how about our grades? If I just get a certain GPA, then I'll be satisfied. Really? That means you're hinging everything on your next test score. Do you want to do that? How about this? Social media. Same thing. Sex. And I got to say this, loved ones. I don't live under a rock. At least I don't think so. Praise the Lord. None of these things that I've just listed are, are bad in and of themselves. But when they start to be put in the place of first importance, they become destructive. You see the difference? I'm not out against eating. All right? But put as first importance above pursuing, desiring Jesus Christ becomes destructive very quickly. And although these things may give the temporary illusion of satisfaction, trying to be satisfied through these things is like, honestly, loved ones, trying to catch the wind. You're trying to catch the wind. They will ultimately leave you empty. They cannot give you true satisfaction because they will always leave you wanting more. And you may say this, and you may be here, and you may say this, I just don't believe you, Pastor Ray. I just don't believe you. Okay. You're entitled to that. But I am going to ask you this question to think on. Those things that you're pursuing lasting satisfaction or fulfillment from, how's it working for you? That lasting peace that you're after through that, are you getting it? Is it lasting? If it is, why do you have to keep pursuing it? The lasting comfort that you're after, are you getting it through those things? Just be honest. Be honest. Don't sit there in pride. Just be honest. The lasting joy that you're after, are you getting it or is it fleeting? How's it working for you? That was very humbling for me this week. And yet we labor and we wear ourselves out to pursue these temporary things continually to have them fill an eternal longing which they cannot. And all the while, true and lasting satisfaction, peace, joy, and love is available if we would turn our hearts to Christ and direct our desire to him. How do we know this? Look at Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 on the screen. Here's what God says. Come, everyone who thirsts, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine, and milk without money and without price. See, salvation's a free gift. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, loved one? And your labor on that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Why do you labor, loved one, right there? for that which isn't satisfying. John Piper puts it this way. If you can't see the sun, you will be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. That's the best that will happen. Shadows and short-lived pleasures. You got to know this, loved ones, as I needed to be reminded of this this week. You and I were created to be satisfied in Christ alone. 
You and I were created to be satisfied in Christ alone. Oh, how we settle for so little because we love the world so much. The streetlight when the sun is offered. The fireworks when thunder and lightning is offered. The awe of a movie when the awe of God is offered every day. Oh, how we settle for so little, myself included. So question, do you truly believe that the greatest satisfaction you could ever have is found only in Jesus Christ? Because if we, here's why this is so important, that question. Because if we believe anything less than that, he will not be first importance. He will not be our first love. If the answer to that question is anything but yes. So what is it for you? What areas are you seeking satisfaction from or, or believing you'll get satisfaction from if you get those things that are not Jesus Christ? What is it for you? What is that thing? If I just had this, if I just had more money, if I just had food, if I just got more entertainment, if I just got a spouse, if I just had my health, if I just had a better job, if I just had a better GPA, then I'd be satisfied. That's not true. It's not true. You see, loved ones, The battle for satisfaction in Christ is ultimately a battle against unbelief. That God's word is true and that he'll do what he says he'll do. We only desire something more than God when we don't believe that he can or will ultimately fill that need for us. And recall from the beginning, this is why we said, every sin we commit comes from a lack of satisfaction in him. Can we believe God's word's true? Here, let's do Hebrews 11.6, Alexis. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, there's the faith, there's the faith in the promise, must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. We must ask God for faith to believe. Lord, give me faith that this is true. Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief in this situation right now. Help my unbelief now that I'm pursuing that direction. Help my unbelief and turn it to faith. And what's the ultimate reward God's promising right here? Him. Him. His presence, his power, his love. Psalm 107.9 says this, for he satisfies the longing soul. Is your soul longing this morning? Is your soul longing for satisfaction this morning, fulfillment, peace? Is Is it? Here it is. He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. It's a promise. He can't not do anything otherwise. So, rubber hits the road right here. Do you believe that's true? Be honest. I had to be honest this week. I still gotta be honest. Do you believe that that is true? You just look around. No wonder so many of us are restless. Are you restless today? No wonder so many are restless. Augustine said this. You have created us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Yes. How many of us here right now need to find their rest in God and not in what you're pursuing? Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Here's the promise, and I will give you rest. To be satisfied in Jesus Christ, you must have an increasing desire for righteousness through him and an increasing faith in the promise of satisfaction from him. And you say this as we head to communion right now. You may say this, well, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know if I'm believing in faith that what Christ says is true and that satisfaction is found in him alone? How do I know if I'm believing that? Ask yourself this question. Ready? Ask yourself this question. What are you, what makes you anxious What makes you worried? What makes you fearful? What makes you stressed? Right there. Right there is the battle of unbelief for you. Think about it. Anyone suffer here from anxiety this week about something? Stress about something? Worry about something? Right there is your battle for unbelief. 
Do you believe, do I believe in that circumstance right now that Jesus Christ can satisfy me? That in that health crisis, I can still sing for joy in him? Not negating like it's not happening, but right in the middle of it, knowing that my satisfaction comes from him and not me getting better? Can I do it? I would put it this way. Is Christ enough for me without... mm, Think of that anxiety, it's coming, and then ask yourself the question, is Christ enough for me without my health? Is Christ enough for me without the big paycheck? Is Christ enough for me without getting that job? Is Christ enough for me without the kids? Is Christ enough for me without the spouse? That's the battle for satisfaction and unbelief. I love how John Piper puts this. We'll close with this quote. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could, if you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw all the physical pleasure you've ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? I read that. I'm sitting in the library prepping this on Thursday, and I just started weeping. I want my heart to be there. Do you? People are looking at me in the library. I didn't even care. I was like, whatever. This is between me and the Lord. I really don't care what you're thinking about me right now. Is that, can you say this, loved ones? Be careful. See, really ask yourself that without making excuses. And I guarantee you this, that if you truly set your heart to know the true answer to that question, the Holy Spirit will lead you to it. And the real question becomes, how will you respond? How will you respond? Give me faith, Lord, help my unbelief.